Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast. My name is Christina Devochko. I'm Michael Levan. And we have Adam Frank from Armory joining us for today's sponsored episode. Today, we're going to talk about continuous deployment, how it fits into the software development lifecycle, and how can we make the whole process easier and more developer-focused. So, hello, Adam. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Thanks for having me here. Very excited to be here. Likewise. We're happy to have you here. So to kick off the conversation, could you tell us a bit more about what you do and what Armory is? Absolutely. I guess we could start by a little bit of talking about kind of that software development lifecycle and the fact that developers are writing code, creating features, experiences for you, myself, Michael, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of other users out there. And that code really has to get from that development team to us as users, whether it's B2C or, or B2B. And it has to be done in a very safe, reliable, continuous manner. And that's what Armory does. Armory focuses on making that delivery of that code safe, reliable. There's a lot of things that happen in between writing code and then actually reaching us as users. And that's what Armory does. Armory really facilitates all of that orchestration, whether it be security scanning, uh, whether it be integration tests, uh, whether it be progressive, canary, blue-green, which I'm sure we'll get into today. It really facilitates all of that orchestration of that uh, code out to the users so they can experience it, they can use it, and you know get joy out of it. Yeah, and it's always ironic to me how the whole idea of CI/CD and like even before CI/CD, I, mean, I feel like we were kind of creating our own CI/CD system, so to speak. Uh, and even though it's been around for so long, and before it was a thing, we we made it a thing internally. We still have such a battle with it in today's world. Like it's still complicated, and pipelines are still failing. And you know, we we have this idea of continuous delivery versus continuous deployment. And I feel like a lot of organizations still aren't at the point where they can commit some code and boom, it just gets deployed and everything's gravy, you know, a hundred times a day. Like we're still working towards that, even though I feel like we've been talking about it for the past decade. Yeah, I think there's a lot of of tech companies that are you know, typically at the forefront of adopting new processes, new technologies that are certainly there and committing, you know, tens, hundreds, uh, depending on how big that company is, even thousands of times a day. But I think the vast majority, like you said, is still trying to comprehend it. But it has been around for a while. I mean, if you really kind of bring it down to the root of what it is, it's a workflow. And, you know, there's so many different workflows throughout the developer experience or throughout any experience, really. It's really which ones you're paying attention to, which ones you're prioritizing. And it just so happens that in today's day and age, it's gotten more and more prioritized. And the experiences that we are all using, the experiences that we're all delivering have a massive amount of competition. So in order to keep up with that, we have to prioritize it. And to be honest, in the modern software development landscape, there are so many bits and pieces involved that that need to play together. We are using so many third-party libraries, third-party services, and there is quite a lot that developers need to pay attention to when they are working on their applications. Like you mentioned, testing, ensuring that the security checks pass, that uh, the software is building properly, and if something fails and then you try to fix one thing and then the second thing fails uh, potentially later in the in the kind of the workflow that becomes quite a lot to take care of from the developer's perspective much more than just adding a new functionality into the application so the process has become 
uh, quite vast and quite complex, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And, and let's be honest with each other. Uh, the fun and exciting thing is really creating that new feature. That new <laughs> yeah. nobody wants to spend the time troubleshooting and trying to fix what's what's out there. Or, you know, what was recently put out there. They want to create. They want to innovate. That's what they hope they can uh, blame a DevOps engineer for if something fails in the pipeline. <laughs> yeah, I feel like in in the real world, it's never that cut and dry. You know, there's always something like I feel like, you know, there's so much content out there and there are so many various talks and stuff like that. And so many organizations that are like, hey, click this button and poof, everything's kind of good to go and you're ready and boom, boom, boom. But it's never like that, you know, because literally every single environment is different in some way. It could be 1% different. It could be 50% different. It doesn't matter regardless of if your underlying platform is the same, the code base is the same, the CICD tool is the same some workflow that you're incorporating is always different. You never walk into an organization and they're doing the same thing as, you know, the other organization over here. It's always something drastically different in the real world. Uh, and drastic could be a 1% difference or it could be a 50% difference. You know, it all kind of depends. Like I've, I've seen like just breaking it down to the simplest form. I've seen scenarios where like, let's say you want to run a couple bash lines or, or commands or whatever you want to call it in a pipeline. They may work on your terminal. They may work in a script, just a standard .sh script, but then once you pop it into a pipeline and you're using like an Ubuntu container or something on the back end to run the pipeline, it may not work. And it may fail for like a reason that you simply don't know and you simply don't understand and you dive into it and it's like, oh, okay, because this version of Ubuntu is a little bit watered down in the container versus this one and vice versa. So it's like, there's always a little something that could be different regardless of where you're running it. And that's kind of how the real world works. And, and you know, so when people dive into CICD, they're like, oh, okay, this is really how things are done. And that's uh, what I believe still makes things complex. There's no standard. Yeah, and I think companies really are starting to pay a lot more attention to those standards. Like you said, people are coming in, you know, they're going from one company to another company and they are expecting experiences to be similar. I mean, people are being hired at, at times because the company wants to bring in the experience that that person has delivered at their particular company. And companies have to pay a lot more attention to that developer experience, you know, back to competition being so fierce these days. The developer market is is fierce as well. You want to hire, you want to retain that top talent, um, those people that all work really well together and do have a good experience. That burnout, that turnover is, is definitely there if that experience isn't good. If they're constantly struggling with the nuance that's in that Ubuntu container and you know their pipeline is failing and that's what they're spending all their time on, they're not getting to innovate. They're not getting to create and you know, again, back to it, that's that's really where we all want to be. So we are definitely seeing an evolution that is very much focused on that developer experience. And I think it really stems from the DevOps mentality of bringing developers and, and operations together and having, you know, development own it. You know, there's more and more and more that's being pushed left. You, know, you continuously hear like security push left, push this left, push that left. But I think it's gotten to a point where it's like, well, you can't push everything left. <laughs> And that's just way too much for one person to, to know and understand. So we're really seeing another evolution there of platform engineering. And this platform engineering team providing out a lot of services to the developers to kind of obfuscate what is some of that complexity and allow them to innovate and create faster. And, and I think that's really where we're seeing a lot of companies pay attention to that developer experience is really starting to form that platform engineering team that's focusing on that developer experience. 
you bring up two really good points. Well, you bring up a bunch of good points, but the two that really stuck out to me is the idea of who's responsible for what, and then also the idea of value-driven work versus putting out fires. So like, you know, that reminds me of the original SRE principles, which are you should be spending no more than 50% of your time putting out fires. The rest of your time should be around business-driven innovation and true engineering and, and creating features and creating products and creating best practices, creating automation and repeatability around these things. And if you're spending more than 50% of your time putting out fires, that's a problem. There's something organizationally wrong and you have to go into the team and you have to fix it for whatever practice, you know, whatever, whether it's application deployments, whether it's infrastructure deployments, whether it's troubleshooting, whether it's things going off at 2 a.m. every day and whoever's on call has to go in and fix the same problem constantly because of whatever the reason may be. So that's one piece of it. And then the other piece of it, as you mentioned, is, okay, so we want to make sure that everybody's doing value-driven work. So we want to shift left, shift left, shift left. And then before you know it, you got one team or one person doing everything and it's like, okay, now you have another problem, separation of concerns, which is where the whole idea of platform engineering comes into play. And it's like, okay, wait, we can't just move everything over here. We, we got to have teams and certain people and, and certain engineers and this and that doing X, Y, and Z and ensuring like, hey, the developer shouldn't be responsible for, you know, spinning up ebpf and spinning up all these networking protocols and doing all these things should they know about it absolutely should they be experts in it no you should have a team that's kind of doing that and so it's it's interesting and not to beat a dead horse here but it's interesting to kind of see this evolution because first we had you know we wanted DevOps because we didn't want the infrastructure folks to to throw stuff over the fence and then the developers to throw stuff over the fence so then we created DevOps but then what happened was uh-oh, now there's one team or one person doing everything. We can't do that. So now we're back to the separation of concerns thing. But the goal with platform engineering is to not be where we were 20 years ago, throwing stuff over the fence, separation of concerns, but ensuring that you're still working with every team. And you're even though it could be separate teams, you're still on the same team. Yeah, my last company that I worked for, we had a fantastic SRE team and they were incredibly collaborative. And it got to the point, like you said, there was just way too much context switching. There was way too much firefighting for them. So they did start to separate out some of those duties and individuals became specialists, really go-to people in some of these certain areas. But the team remained incredibly collaborative. So if somebody did go away for a week or two or whatever on, on vacation or whatever it may be, the innovation continued on seamlessly with that team. Firefighting became far, far less when there was fires to fight because there was so much less context switching. They fought them quicker. They got them done quicker. And then on top of that, the developers had a far better experience because that platform that they were delivering was more reliable. Uh, there was more obfuscation created there. I think you had talked about that DevOps engineer. I think that's one of the things that that we did that you know really led back to focusing on that developer experience. And I think it got to that point where CI became a thing and a very needed thing, still a very needed thing in today's day and age. You know, let's automate a lot of that build process. Absolutely. And then at the tail end of that, it was like, okay, well, now we've got this artifact that's ready to go. What well, I guess we just write some custom scripts, we do this, we do that. And that's really where a lot of that DevOps engineer, quote unquote, title came from and specialist was you know, working with tools like Jenkins and and CI tools and then extending them on to do some level of, of delivery, some level of deployment. 
And like you said, stuff would break in there and develop. She's like, I don't know. I, I push the button. Like you said, it's not working. It's not out there. I can't see it. I can't test it. Uh, I don't know what happened. And then they come in and look at the the Plinko effect of the of all these scripts and things that are running out there and the fragility of it and eventually get to the bottom of it. But that's just not a good experience for a developer. And I think that's really where, again, the specialized solutions have come in from separating continuous integration into continuous delivery and then eventually the evolution from continuous delivery to continuous deployment that we're very much seeing today. Coming from the developer point of things, I can say that uh, there is kind of a big challenge that was around continuous deployment that I have heard not only in the organizations where I have been working, but also from other organizations which I've been talking about. And that does sound scary when you have a lot of those bits and pieces involved and when you don't have that repeatability in place, for instance, if you think about organizations that build distributed systems, that build microservices where different teams have responsibility for the full life cycle of their applications, how would you ensure that all the proper security checks, all the necessary tests are in place and at the same time are repeatable because you can't expect developers to remember in every single team that if they build a CICD workflow for their microservice, that they need to remember to have this and this and this in place. And this is also kind of a part where I feel platform engineering can come in and make the whole continuous deployment sound less scary and also help on that collaboration, help ensure that that repeatability and everything that is needed is kind of templated and blueprinted and it helps really to reduce the time and that cognitive load that developers would typically experience because then they have more of that time to focus, to focus on the cool stuff, like you mentioned, Adam, bringing value into the applications themselves. And then there are tools that can help ensure that that application with that cool stuff will be governed in the same way across all teams. I think that's one of the really cool things that Kubernetes actually brought into the world as well with, with all of its beauty, but you know, also all of its complexity, sure. I think one of the beautiful things that it has brought into the world is the declarative statements. So being able to declare an outcome versus touching on every single point of how it all works. And that's really kind of brought into the developer experience, the term GitOps. And getting back to what's more familiar to you, reducing that cognitive load. And like you said, not needing to make sure that you know this security check is in there or whatever it may be. That's all done as code. You'll hear things like policy as code. Um, you'll hear things like GitOps. So really looking at the workflow that you are used to and what you do day in and day out and how you work, checking code in and out of your repo and starting to leverage the same processes in that same way. Being able to declare your outcome for a deployment. You want your deployment to go to these particular targets. You want it to go to the West, you want it to go to the East, and then you want it to go to Europe. And let the machine figure out what the best strategy is, you know, how how that's going to work there. Um, Policy is code. Same thing. You want to collaborate on that document. You want to make sure that that's there and available for your developers to see and understand, but also not step on each other's toes and and make a mistake and send something out there that could be uh, could have a vulnerability, you know, could be vulnerable. Let me ask you this from a developer experience perspective. You know, we're talking about policy as code and we're talking about GitOps and we're talking about Kubernetes and we're talking about all of these different tools 
products, platforms, whatever you want to call them, that all kind of have their own area of expertise. And in turn, you have to go in and essentially learn it. So in, in your opinion, I mean, what is the best approach from a developer experience perspective to kind of understand and get all that knowledge of all of these different things? Because I feel like that's arguably the biggest problem in today's world is not that all of these platforms and tools and products are so incredibly hard that we can't learn them. It's that there are so many of them that we have to learn. And therefore it's like, how do you kind of reduce that cognitive load from a developer experience perspective, but at the same time still understand all these tools and products and platforms to do your job? Yeah, I think there's certainly commonalities in approaches and and what has to be done but i mean stepping back talking to and understanding what developers need what developers want one of the beautiful things about my current company armory you know you, everybody's familiar with apple and you know them saying that we created the the ipod for ourselves because we love music and and this was really a product for ourselves we have the exact same mentality at armory our developers, our development team, our engineering organization uses our continuous deployment tool to continuously deploy to our continuous deployment tool that our users are using. And they are treated as the number one customer. I mean, I talk to our different internal developers day in and day out to get their opinion on something, to understand what you know they did today and yesterday. And how could you have done that better? What would you have liked to, to be done better? And it's not even necessarily just when it comes to continuous deployment. It's trying to understand things in and around the whole software development lifecycle as well to see if there is a way that we can reduce any cognitive load and, and make something easier. And I think when it does come to continuous deployment, there's really two approaches right now, and we're seeing those come together a lot more. So you've got the pull versus push approach. So you've got an artifact ready to be deployed, that pushing that artifact from one environment to the next environment, doing your checks, doing the necessary checks. Uh, and then at the end, everything is all said and done. That traffic's been increased from 5% to 10%, 25, 50, 100. And now all of your user base is using this, this, this new piece of code, this new feature that you've written uh, versus that pull where you've got something that is your Kubernetes cluster is, is you know, syncing with your Git repo and it's constantly looking for any differences, any drift there. And so anything that's checked into that repo, it's going to be pulled out to that Kubernetes cluster and, and making sure that they're all in sync. We're starting to see a lot of those two approaches come together because each one in and its own obviously has scalability concerns or other different concerns in and around it, but we're starting to see those two come together a lot closer. And that's really helping a lot of the developers because again, it's about doing what they do day in and day out, practicing things the way that they practice day in and day out. They're writing code, they're experimenting with code, they're testing their code. How can we make that the focal point and innovating and obfuscating what happens underneath? How can we make that easier underneath? So again, when Christina leaves one company and goes to another company, it's not a whole different set of tools that she has to learn, but it may be just a few different processes because the company does things a certain way or has you know, different policies or different governance practices that they have, depending on what the company, what industry the company is in or, or whatever. So you know, back to the developer pushing code to production on day one, 
can Christina to have that experience when she gets there? Or is she just kind of sifting through documentation and like, yeah, you know, day one was cool. I got to read some documentation and see some things. <laughs> All the fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> or no documentation. That can also be the case. <laughs> there is some joy in reading great documentation. Things when the code probably. can be a great documentation as well is probably the dream. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but I think you're pointing out some really, really good points. And we even we have recently had an episode where we've been talking about the platform engineering white paper that CNCF has released. And there they kind of point to the same important criteria when it comes to kind of making that developer experience easier in context of building internal developer platforms, for instance, you you can't just build something you think would be cool for developers without actually talking to them and figuring out what do they actually need and having that iterative agile process so that they could also test and use that product internally as well. So I think this is like a great indicator when you have your own developers kind of using that product as well as part of the internal workflow, because this is also the best way to to figure out what kind of improvements you you can do by actually using it, having those um, end users uh, also use it and see what kind of problems or issues or potential areas of improvement can be there. So uh, this is totally something that more organizations, I feel, should also have in the back of their head. Yeah, it's a great mentality for building anything. I mean, I would get a lot more enjoyment out of building a platform, building a product for you if I was building it with you. And I'm sure vice versa, you would have a lot more attachment to it if you were building it in a collaborative environment with me, as opposed to, I don't know, Adam just keeps sending me things he wants me to try out. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. I'm just going to go back to doing what I'm doing every day. So it's a great yeah. mentality with with any product, really. And you know, one of the things focusing on the developer experience, building a champion internally within different organizations, that's really going to focus on that and kind of build a team out around it. And that team is going to evolve into that platform engineering team. And that team is within the development organization that's working collaboratively hand in hand with the developers that are more focused on features or growth engineering or you know whatever it may be within inside that organization but they're building it together they understand it but it is obfuscated from their day to day so they can focus on a lot more it, it's great and we're starting to see a lot more titles out there uh manager of developer experience director vp of developer experience and you know, they are really tasked internally with looking at the tool set, looking at the processes and making sure that delivery goes up, you know, mean time to recovery goes, goes down and, you know, all those fantastic metrics that are out there to measure the quality and success of everything that you're doing within an engineering organization. So you can really communicate back to the business that we're building great stuff, that great stuff is being used and we're building it fast at a, at a very high quality. All without trying to not be the person that says, I know how we can fix this. Here's another tool that we can use to learn. <laughs> that's, uh, There's that's always, always going to be another tool, Michael. There's always <laughs> going to be another tool. Exactly. And I really like what you said before about uh, the, well, I don't want to sound too buzzwordy here, but I'm just going to say it, the eating your own dog food where uh, you're, you know, you're kind of using your tool internally and getting the feedback of your own organization, like, hey, what do you think about this? I, I feel like it's way easier to probably get feedback, right? Where it's like, 
this is awful because of X, Y, and Z versus a customer. You may not actually get that feedback, right? But like internal use, you're going to get a lot more usable feedback on a product if you're using it versus, you know, asking, hey, can you write this review of our product? What did you think about it? Because nine times out of 10, you don't actually get feedback back versus, you know, using it internally definitely makes getting that feedback a lot easier. I can tell you firsthand, Michael, it's very raw feedback. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, it's the type of feedback that you do want, uh, that you are always looking for, but um, you 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 very rarely get. Right. There's that level of attachment. There's that level of emotion that's being built into it because they're very much part of the company and they very much value the vision, the mission, the values that this company is there. Otherwise, they wouldn't they wouldn't be working here. And so their feedback absolutely matters and building that transparency, that trust is, is really going to allow them to, to bring that raw feedback. Yeah, I think that's so important, honestly, because, you know, you'll hear from, you know, some styles of, of managers and, and VPs and, and whoever that, you know, you don't want to bring emotion to work. I actually like to think about it as the opposite, because if you're not bringing emotion to work, if you're not truly like this is great or this is bad and here's why, then like you're just kind of robotic at that point, right? And you're just going through your day-to-day versus actually giving that feedback back because it's like, no, I actually really love what we're doing here, but this part is awful and it would be great if we could do this instead. You know, and and having that ability to be a little bit emotional about it, I, I think that, like you said, it brings that raw, you know, not sugarcoating any feedback, which that's the stuff that you want. You don't want the stuff that it's like, Oh no, it's fine. It's fine. It's okay. Cause that's not going to help you at all. <laughs> no, I agree. I, I very much agree with you. Bring emotion to work. Right. Yep. Bring emotion. You're working with adults, uh, yep. mostly, hopefully. <laughs> and, uh, you, know, you can find common ground. You can, you know, if, if things get a little bit heated, that's okay. Our arguments, arguments are good. Differing opinions are good. As long as you both respect each other and you find a path forward, um, you know, whether you agree with the decision that's made or, or you don't agree with it, but I think you know your voice should be heard and and there should be emotion to what you're doing. There should be passion there. I'd absolutely hate to work around people that uh, agree with everything that I say. That would be an awful experience. I think an equally important part of this process is that would also empower developers is also actually taking that feedback in, listening to that feedback, because what often happens is that the management, for instance, has heard about some cool technology about AI (laughs) these days or something else, a new cool tool, and they have envisioned that this is what they want. And then developers may be sharing feedback, being really passionate and engaged about maybe this would not be the best solution here, but this and this. And then you actually don't take in that feedback and actually align it and plan some changes according to that feedback you receive from the developers. So over time, they kind of also lose that passion. So I think this is equally important, not only bring your passion to work and share that feedback, but and not only ask about that feedback, but actually learn how to take that in and actually act upon it. And I think that kind of circles back to the idea of developer experience, right? Yeah, most definitely. I think you know we've really seen a, a shift over the last few years where a lot of the the tools that are being brought into an organization are far far less top down. You know, this is cool. This is a, a huge enterprise deal. Uh, this is a tool that we have to use. Uh, versus the developers coming in and saying, 
this this works this solves the problem that we have right now and, and makes my life easier and now like you said you we've got people paying attention to that developer experiencing understanding that that is going to increase the quality of code, the quality of experiences that are being delivered out there to their users and ultimately a company's competitive advantage. And that's one of the beautiful things that I love about working for Armory and it being a continuous deployment company. I firmly believe, we firmly believe that continuous deployment sits really at the center of that developer experience in the software development lifecycle because it just it does touch so many things and and you know it comes in after CI where you've got that artifact ready you've got that code ready to be pushed out there but developers they really want it to work you know I think that's one of the most common things that I hear Christina when I first sit down and talk to a developer is you know what do you really want out of your your CI and CD process and without you know, influencing the jury at all I'll ask what do you really want out of your your CI and CD process Christina I don't want it to fail. <laughs> Un, unprompted. This was not rehearsed. I, that is that is the answer that we get every single time. I, I don't want it to fail. Oh. I just want it to work. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the two. I don't want it to fail or I just want it to work. Maybe if I extend upon that, I don't want it to fail due to the reasons that are not related to the changes I add to the software. Yeah, see, Michael, we're already getting to a, a level of relationship where she can give me raw feedback. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, talking from my own painful experience. <laughs> That's precisely it, though. And, you know, the more developers that we talk to, and, and when you look at a company like JPMC as an example, uh, Jamie Diamond announced a couple of years ago, I think it was, that they were they were going to be hiring 30,000 programmers, 30,000 developers. That's a lot of developers. And if that experience for those 30,000 developers isn't where it should be, and they're not able to deploy their code out there and and get that attachment to it, that's 30,000 individuals that are potentially going to turn over. And I happen to know for a fact that JPMC does have a pretty fantastic developer experience you know, centered around their, their continuous deployment solutions, but um, there's so much of that going on out there. So wrapping up here, Adam, I'd like to give you an opportunity to plug away wherever anybody can find you, company, if you're writing any content or creating anything like that, please feel free to uh, let us all know. First and foremost, armory.io, spelled exactly how you think it is. There's no no funny missing uh, M or R or anything in there. It's armory.io. Uh, yeah, you can head over there, check it out. We've got our products listed um, there's a fantastic blog that we are constantly contributing to there. It's it's not just about continuous deployment, but it is really around platform engineering, uh, the software development lifecycle as a whole. Uh, we you know we do a lot of you know, discussions with people like yourselves and and developers out there. So you know we certainly hear you and and try to be the voice for a lot of that stuff in in that blog as well. Um, so yeah, you can, you can check out and find. There's a lot of a lot of really great content and and blog articles and things like that on Armory.io. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really do appreciate it. And we hope everybody enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening.